Hi, and welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. I'm James. And I'm Callum. And this is the only podcast where, can you hear me? Listen carefully, we don't have much time. The flux is coming. It's bringing with it the Sontans, the weeping angels, creatures that call themselves ravagers, and enemies from across the universe. It's five of our lives. Doctor, we need you. I can't hold it much longer, Doctor. It's coming. <laughs> Be ready. <laughs> flux. <laughs> And every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival. This week, we're looking at the dry run for the Moffat era, Silence in the Library and Forests of the Dead. But before we start, as with every single week we do this, just a quick reminder that you too can join in the banter because we are on Twitter, we are on Facebook, we are on Instagram at Two Hearts Pod, and that's the number two. Or you can email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's two, the word two, to have your thoughts and feelings shared on the show. Um, James, yeah, how serendipitous is this? The day that we decide to record an episode, some big news drops on the Doctor Who socials. We're getting season 13, finally, on October the 31st. This is the second time this has happened for us, actually, because the last time we chose to record was when RTD announced he was coming back. Uh, and now we've dropped uh, this other beautiful little nugget. Um, Doctor Who, flux. <laughs> yes. What What do we think that refers to? Um. Oh, I assume timelines are in flux. They've updated that, uh, like rainbow graphic. So now it's now it's no longer an actual rainbow for one. Um, but also all the strands at the end have started to come undone and like weave into each other. So I'm assuming it's like all of the Doctor's timelines are in flux, and it's all going to lead into the the big 60th anniversary and whatnot. Mm. That's my you know pie in the sky read on the title. My gut reaction to the title is just like mild confusion used amusement yes it, it, it's it might be a long shot but it could be that this show about time travel has a time travel plot aspect to it crazy i know it's definitely possible Wild. um chibnall i know he's a bit of an out there writer but i think he <laughs> might be able to pull this one off <laughs> we're being quite sarcastic but like yeah chibnall I, I was telling you before there was i saw a tweet earlier today in announce in the announcement uh, that was like, I'm really looking forward to nine more episodes of Jodie Whittaker, finally, but I'm not looking forward to nine more episodes of Chris Chibnall. And I feel like that is a nice summation of our feelings here about this next yeah. journey. It, it truly is. Um, so I guess for context, the Doctor Who social media pages went dark. Uh, what was that on Friday? I feel like it was very Saturday? recently, like Friday. Yeah. Yeah, like about, no, no, 48 hours ago, whatever it was, um, all of their accounts just kind of disappeared and Calum and I were joking that like, oh, you know, they're going to come back and it's going to be like some kind of like, ooh, Sontaran takeover and, you know, it's a social media campaign, it's the BBC, it's all very uh, quaint let's say. Um, and that isn't what happened. Um, what happened is they have, they've all been brought back online with this uh, new title, Doctor Who Flux, and with a, um, I guess like a teaser trailer of Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor, uh, just talking straight into the camera and listing off, um, 
you know, fun things that you recognize about Doctor Who to make sure that <laughs> you know it's Doctor Who. It's the most egregious part of it is like, it's so, it's not written with any care or like, uh, uh, it's, uh, what am I trying to say here? It's written to directly address the audience, but not in a story world sense, but in a like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we know, you know, we're all in this together. And it's so fucking annoying. From this era in particular. Yes. Yes. Uh, agreed. It's, um, I mean, it's just Chibnall's writing style. Like, I think there's that line in there, like, um, oh, it's bringing with it Santarans, weeping angels, creatures that call themselves the ravages and enemies from across the universe. And it's just, I don't know. Obviously we're cynical here. Um, you know, we, we've been quite critical of uh, a fair bit of Doctor Who lately. Um, and that is definitely going to be, you know, tainting how we're um, sort of coming to this this little teaser trailer. It's just that if you're going to take all your social media accounts down and you're going to make a big deal of like, hey, this is it. Like, this is your first official let's go new Doctor Who moment. Um, I just would have preferred if it was something a little bit more than this. Exactly. It feels... I'm happy that we have something. I am excited for the show to come back finally um because the last time we had a consistent run of episodes was the series 12 in 2020 when we started doing this podcast um well before just before we started doing this podcast um but it is it's uh definitely not the bang i think they thought it was going to be well, not for us. You know, I have seen a lot of positive uh, sort of reactions to it. I, I think it's I think it's good that people are getting excited for the concept that this series is producing, which is, you know, what we talked about <clears throat> when they did that Comic-Con panel, whatever it was. The idea of like a, a one big interconnected story is actually quite exciting. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm definitely all for that and I'm all for getting pumped up about that. I like the Weeping Angels. I can't stand the Sontarans. Um, you know, neither here nor there on that, really. Do you think you'll do uh, something? There was one thing. Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask, do you think you'll do something interesting or different with the uh, weeping angels now that you've brought them up no (laughs) no (laughs) no no i i think that um i think that they will be the weeping angels and i think that they'll be the santarans and i i think it would just be i think it would be what it is um you know I, i don't think he did a bad job when he sort of quote unquote not reinvented, but, you know, taking the Dalek out of the casing and making that, like, the the signature element of, uh, revol- no, not revolution, um... Um, resolution. Resolution. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed, I, I still think that episode has all the, you know, tribunal hallmarks problems um but specifically his reinterpretation of the Dalek in that moment, I, I quite enjoyed, and then, you know, with Revolution last year, that was, there was some subtext, I suppose, um... <laughs> So I, I maybe we'd expect that. Maybe there'll be like a little bit more, um, uh, but I don't think there'll be a huge amount. The only thing that I found, uh, and I, I said this to you right before we started recording, is um, towards the end of her little flux capacitor speech, um, she's like, you know, this is the fight of our lives. Mm. In my interpretation of things, um, this is her talking to other um versions of herself uh sort of reaching out across time and space to be like hey you know all of our enemies are coalescing this is the moment we all need to come together uh i saw that there was a screenshot circulating on twitter that i no idea if it's valid at all um but it was like a a cast sheet from google that had um was it capaldi eccleston and tenant Oh, and Smith, all listed as fugitive doctors. And so the idea that maybe they're tying all the timeless children and uh, initiative. Is that what they were called? It's like the institution, I think, or something like that. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those terms. Um, that they're kind of tying all that together, and maybe this is going to be you know this six story, the six episode story, maybe uh, is going to kick off you know the the time flux that's going to cause all of this. But you know we're we're not working with much here. So no, I like your I like your con um your concept uh that idea that you put down. I, the screenshot you're talking about though, I think that was just a Google error, and it was like oh, they okay. fucked up. <laughs> But I like right, that you've right. you've put it into that context. I like that you've like you've actually tried to make it work, um, which is well, more than know, the BBC. I, I think doing. it just <laughs> no. I, I just think it could make sense. You know, um, I don't like the chessboard as as it is currently positioned. But you know, I think that you could probably maneuver those pieces into a semi interesting thing. Um, I think there's some wishful thinking on my part with that screenshot because I saw Jenna Coleman was back <laughs> as uh, Clara Oswald, and if anyone could possibly save Doctor Who at this point, it would be my girl. Um, other than that, though, flux is is flux. Flux is flux. I'm. Um, yeah, look, definitely I'm looking forward to Flux. Uh, I think we all are. Um, and like I said before, it's really nice to have Doctor Who back on our screens. Speaking of Jenna Coleman, uh, this is a very tenuous link. But speaking of Jenna Coleman, we are here <laughs> to talk about Silence of the Li- in the Library, Forest of the Dead, which you could arguably say is the start of the Moffat era of which Jenna Coleman is a part. See, I, I linked it. I got there. Sure. <laughs> Let's talk about Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. This is the biggest library in the universe. So where is everyone? Run. For God's sake, run. Run! Professor Riversong, archaeologist. The shadows are moving again. How can a shadow be infected? It's Vashta Narada. What's cow? Something came to this library and killed everything in it. Donna? Yeah? Stay out of the shadows. So, series four, episodes eight and nine are, respectively, Silence in the Library, Forests of the Dead, written by, as we've said, Stephen Moffat, and directed by Euros Lin. Um, quick rundown of the plot. Doctor and Donna land in the universe's largest library after the Doctor receives a mystery summons to the planet-sized structure. Upon finding out that everyone in the library has vanished, they meet up with the archaeologist Riversong and her merry band of researchers who are revealed to have called the Doctor here to help them find out what happened to all the patrons who have been reportedly saved by the library's AI. After some investigating, the gang learns the library is under siege from the Vashta Narada, a race of flesh-eating aliens who live in the shadows. While fleeing the Vashta, uh, River begins to explain to the Doctor that they know each other quite well in the future and that he should trust her. Several of the crew members are eaten, and in an attempt to teleport Donna back to the TARDIS, she is saved by the AI, and we open part two with Donna now living inside the library's fake digital world. In here, she is aided by one of the former assistants and begins to pull apart her reality. Meanwhile, the Doctor and River run around for a while before reading they could save everyone if they reboot the AI, but it would require someone to sacrifice themselves to do so. Tricks the Doctor into letting her do it, telling him they have so much time to come before dying, and setting everyone who was saved by the AI free. The Vashta Narada, meanwhile, give them free passage off the planet before they will settle on the planet, because it's actually where they're from. They came in the books. 
River, who has her own sonic screwdriver, is then saved by the Doctor using some sci-fi mumbo-jumbo and given the chance to live eternally inside the machine without a trace of irony or darkness. Ew. Just like the Vashon Narada, I am also not allowed in libraries because I come in books. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> There was some unpleasantness. I can never return. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did you oh, just sorry, come I'll up with it. that? Yeah, I thought it was funny. <laughs> that was stellar. Disgusting, but stellar. <laughs> oh my god, I don't know how to proceed. Um, <laughs> James, what did you think of these episodes? Uh, so this two-parter is, um, look, it's, it's no secret that I, 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 I quite like Moffat's interpretation of, of Doctor Who. Uh, I think that this is probably his weakest outing in, in the RTD era. Um, not to say that I don't thoroughly enjoy it and that I don't think it's like, you know, really compelling and has some really, probably some like fantastic Donna moments, truly. Um, and River is a whole thing we're, we're going to get to as well. Um, but, you know, I wrote sci-fi mumbo jumbo in that uh, plot description because quite frankly, I, the, the second episode for me does kind of fall into just like Moffat magic-esque kind of realm. Like I don't fully understand how he makes the leaps that he makes um but still i think it's like a, a pretty fun and nice to look at little bundle of who what about you um i mm, i mm, <clears throat> okay um i like this story but as the same with you uh it's definitely the weakest of the russell era episodes he did not because it's f- uh like a flawed there's no flaws as such of the, in the concept or the story or even the elements of the dialogue. Like it's, it's all the magic about Stephen Moffat and what you come to expect from him. It's all there. Um, I think that it's just, for me, uh, it's just a case of, uh, sequel, uh, what, when they, no second album syndrome, right? Because like you had blink, in season three, which nobody expected was going to do anything new or exciting. It wasn't supposed to do anything other than just fill a gap in the show. Um, and then suddenly it ballooned into the the biggest and the best episode the show had done at that point. So the expectations are incredibly high for this story. No, and um, this obviously came after the production of the episode, but no more uh, evidence than the fact that a few days before the first episode aired, it was announced that Moffat was taking over as head showrunner of the show. So like you add already the inflated sense of like, I need to better my work from Blink plus this announcement. Expectations were incredibly high for this episode. And I just don't think it actually does, unfortunately, uh, rise to that occasion. I think it's got a lot of ideas that are really good, but uh, it's a bit of a stuffed (laughs) kind of (laughs) two-parter. And... it fumbles a lot of them, <sighs> not to a degree that I I, dis, I don't enjoy what's happening, but it's it's noticeable. It's way more noticeable. And Moffat is such an artist when it comes to successfully melding and weaving things together. So you don't really notice the 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 clunks, um, but I feel yeah. the clunks in this story. Does that make sense? Well, it's interesting. 
It does. I mean, you described it as a, like the dry run for the Moffat era. And I, I think that may be more accurate than you realize because once he does take over the show and, you know, you stop seeing him in these isolated episodes and start seeing his sort of season wide contribution and vision, you do get those clunky moments. You know, you, you get times where not everything does work together, um, especially in, you know, five and six and arguably a fair bit of seven, um, you know, you do find that that Moffatism. There, there's a mm. lot of stuff in here about women um, and about his his uh, sort of not explanations of things because I don't think everything needs to be explained, but like there needs to be a sort of consistent logic that I can follow. Um, there's there's some wonky stuff with that as well. So I, I do think it is like a microcosm of of Moffat's um, good and bad on the show. Let's say. Um, I th- I feel like the the headline here, and you and I didn't discuss this beforehand at all. I don't even wow. really think it's in our notes all that much. But I kind of feel like the headline is that this is River's first story. Yeah, it, we. I guess I didn't really talk about it or like mention it in the um before because it, everyone knows this is River's first episode. Um, but yes, this is the this this is the significant introduction of River Song, the person who will. Uh, become a, a main sort of fixture of the Matt Smith era and beyond. Um, <clears throat> as first outings go, pretty, uh, pretty good. What? Yeah. It's funny. I feel like what I said before about like, you know, everyone knows, everyone knows this is River's first episode to the point where I haven't even really thought much about her role in this episode because all of, it's almost like the way I think about it now and, um, you can, it's really hammered home in that last scene. It's like, you don't even need to think about River much because all of that is to come and everything that's significant about her is to come. And when you watch this episode, as we have or are doing, uh, after going through everything that is to come with her journey, this feels so un-River-like in a way. Um, I think it's just because, uh, I'd say the reaction to River goes on to inform how Moffat writes River, let's say. And so, you know, here, there's none of that predetermined, like, fuck yeah, everyone loves River. It's just, here's a new character they need to introduce. And so I find it's missing some of the bravado um, and the uh, overt sexuality that goes on to define a lot of her time on the show. That's true. Um, I don't think that's necessarily for better or for worse. I I think it's just, this was the first outing for the character and there are naturally going to be um, changes made over time as as she goes on to become, like you said, a fixture of things. Um, Alex Kingston is like it, the one thing I will say, despite those writing inconsistencies is too strong a word, but Hmm. um, Alex Kingston feels as if she is the same in the role now as she is, you know, in five years time when she's still playing river. Like she always fully embodies this character. Oh, truly. She is such a, a good choice for this role. Um, it's pretty... It's like a bit of who, who law that it was originally they were trying to get Kate Winslet for this, uh, for, to play River Song. Uh, and I just can't imagine how that would have worked for what no. came afterwards if they'd gotten, like, movie star Kate Winslet to play this. Because, yeah, it hurt. obviously this character needed to go on and have another life. Um... Alex Kingston is pretty, pretty phenomenal and pretty ageless as well. Truly. Yeah. I, I obviously I know that she does age and she does look different, but in my mind, like River is just always the same. 
Uh, she's just consistently looks stunning and I never notice that time has passed for her. Um, and I think that that's a, a, again, really speaks to the writing because Moffat does write River with so much affection. Um, mm. And in terms of, you know, we talk a lot on this show about how difficult it is for them to make any sort of like consistent changes to Doctor Who because everything has to always reset at the end of each episode. Uh, and so I think that that he successfully does insert a character like River into the lore is pretty impressive in its own part because she's not a companion, you know, and mm. she's not the master. Like she is another figure in his, in the doctor's orbit that's in that same capacity as the master though. Like it's, it's just a given that River is part of his life. That's a really good point actually. And I, I hadn't considered that before. Like the the longstanding characters of this show are sort of so established. The only one that changes really is the, the companion. Uh, but mm. River, yeah, this is probably the first uh, successful attempt at, inserting an, an ongoing character that isn't a companion. Um, uh, and uh, what was I going to say? Something about River. And you're absolutely right as well, because we were just last week talking about like how the doctor's daughter was an attempt at changing mm-hmm. the doctor's character and failing spectacularly. Uh, whereas this does it so effortlessly. And just by, oh, just yeah. by, and what this is what Muffet does is like using the show's conceit of time travel to his benefit by having a character who hasn't met, who he hasn't met yet, but who knows him mm. so intimately in the future. It's, it just, it's, it's ripe with storytelling potential. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I'd argue that they probably use it to its full extent. You know, I think that there's, <laughs> there's some choices made with River um, in the middle there that get a bit, a, a little bit wobbly. Um, but I, for the most part, I, I think River is a, a, a pretty fantastic contra... Contribution. Addition to canon, let's say. Um, so, yeah, seeing her here, here is really nice. Her and the Doctor get to have so many fantastic moments. Um, and, you know, little things like that little blue book that looks like the TARDIS, the, you know, spoilers. Like, it's all just so formative for what would go on to become sort of, like, iconic mainstays of, of Moffat's time on the show. Um I think that probably my favorite moment between the two of them here is when she has to sort of essentially jumpstart the doctor's trust in her because they're running out of time. And, you know, at this point in his timeline, he doesn't know her at all. And so there's none of that foundation for her to build off to get him to work with her more cooperatively. And so to do so, she tells him his name, um, Mm. which is, you know, years ahead of what he was going to do with Matt Smith and the name of the doctor and all that sort of stuff. Um, So that's a really nice sort of like planting of a seed that, you know, he would go on to then sort of bring to fruition much, much later down the track. Um, But it's also just such a, just just such a stellar moment. It feels like the first time they mentioned the time war. It's one of those like, oh, that was like a little spooky, you know, like things got a bit dark there for the Doctor and it's just full of so much mystery and I I love it. It's a really good moment. It's it's like a shivers moment. And uh, one thing I wrote down in my notes is that that is accompanied by some great Murray Gold work. Um, his score, mm. the Doctor's uh, theme underscoring that moment, it feels really mysterious. Uh, and mysterious in a way that the show hasn't felt, like you just said with the Time War comments, since Series 1, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gosh, the more we're talking about this, the more I'm like, this is a really good episode. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. Like, I still think it has like the issues that you that you talked about and that you're going to talk about. Um, I certainly see them. I just think that as a like as a purely emotional piece, I, I think it works very well. True. I just those emotional moments are few and far between. If you if you look at, at quantity as opposed to quality, but the those scenes are fire. <laughs> they are yeah, fire. They're absolute bangers. Um, I think uh, while we're talking about what this episode does well emotionally and uh, also still vaguely in the realm of Moffat's um, sci-fi magic tendencies, mm. uh, do you want to quickly talk about... Um, uh, not... Okay, her name's not Miss Honeypot. <laughs> <laughs> her name is... Okay, her name is Miss Evangelista and I wonder if Moffat knows about, like, Linda Evangelista or not. And I feel like he doesn't. It's just such a specific name. <laughs> so specific. And if he does, then like, okay, go off queer icon. Um, <laughs> I hate that I said that. Anyway, <laughs> Miss Evangelista, uh, do you want to do you want to walk the audience through, um, you know, a, a very effective moment? Yes. Um, as a moment, it's good. I will talk more about like the structure of this ep- these two episodes later but as a moment it's really good there's a scene where miss evangelista she's the beleaguered kind of like ditzy assistant to the head millionaire that's funding this whole archaeological expedition to the library who owns the library um and there's a scene where they're all talking and then uh, something happens in the ai world the cow the little girl um and it opens a door in the library and so Miss Evangelista goes through the door. She wanders down a spooky corridor and then they, everyone hears a scream. They run in and Miss Evangelista has disappeared. She's now a skeleton. Uh, she's been eaten alive in seconds, basically. And it's then accompanied by this really kind of horrifying concept, which is that all the astronauts, I keep wanting to say astronauts, archaeologists <laughs> are um, have these like data ghost things on their suits that, take a recording of their like brain pattern or brain function, I guess. Um, so that a digital version of them lives on after death. And then you get like two or three minutes of Miss Evangelista's like brain pattern looping and looping and talking and not knowing that she's dead. Um, and it is, so, it's just one of those concepts where you're like, this is brilliant and genius and emotionally wrought. Um, and it's, so affecting and it's so affecting from a character who has like zero screen time up to this point whose only like Mm. character trait is i'm dumb and nobody takes me seriously um but then donna has her one humanizing moment with her and so in this scene donna is you know she's like where's the nice lady where's where's the nice lady with the red hair and donna's like i'm here and she has to talk her through these last moments of death and it is so heartbreaking because and Catherine Tate mm. like, we've we've spoken so much about how brilliant she is this is no exception here she the way she delivers there's this line where you know she's struggling to get to the, the concept of what's happening here and she turns around to the doctor and she just says you know she's dead oh god it just makes me cry because mm-hmm. it's brilliant she's so yeah. in that moment like I, I, I it's it's oh yeah, Catherine Tate, um, like, 
she's obviously always been very good at being Donna. You know, we just talked about last week how when they filmed that first episode, um, Unicorn and the Wasp, she was already Donna, you know? Um, but here and for the rest of the season specifically, we really get to see her flex some very dramatic muscles. Um, and it is, it's so affecting to see, I mean, it's that old trick of like, you know, the comedian that then goes on to make you cry in a drama scene because you're not used to that emotion from them um but yeah this is this is the beginning of of donna really grappling with the horrific nature of of traveling with the doctor and you know what that can mean for um her future and consent and all that fun stuff we have to talk about in the future but anyway uh misaligned evangelista stuff is is really good um it does lead to uh, an odd Moffat choice, I would say, when she gets... So she gets, quote-unquote, saved by Cal, the AI. And um, her upload process, according to her, is is corrupted somehow. And so mm. a decimal point gets moved in her IQ. So when she gets uploaded to the cloud, she becomes super smart. But this process also warps her face. So she has to walk around like a Victorian ghost with a shawl covering her face the entire time. And then... That is, it's weird. And there's, there's subtext there that I don't particularly like. But then it, the show goes on to make it text where she's like, well, now I've got the perfect face for a genius or something. And it's like, what are you she saying, says, Moffat? She <laughs> says, I have, now I have the, the two qualities that are needed for pure genius. Like, uh, I'm smart and unloved or something like that. And the, the, the yeah. meaning being like, she's unloved because she's now ugly. So only ugly people can be smart and only smart people can be, and only dumb people can be beautiful, Mm. basically. It's a weird analogy thing to make. Yeah, it's just odd. There's no other place in the episode for us to really talk about it. So I figured I'd tack that onto the end of the Miss Evangelista stuff there because it's just, um, yeah, it's it's a choice that he makes. Um, What what else sort of jumps out to you about this two-parter? Well, the, the, the... The main sort of thing that I think about when I think about this two-parter and the main thing that, like, really gets me is... And I was surprised re-watching it how little there is of it, really. Uh, but it's the AI world that Donna mm. lives in and the this sort of alternate digital reality that she uh, is trapped in for the most of the second episode. It was a... There's a really... Um, great moment where Miss Evangelist is trying to get Donna to wake up to realize that she isn't real, that, you know, she's trapped and she needs to get out. And she's like, look at your children. And Donna turns around and all the children, cause she has children and she's married in this alternate reality. Um, all of her, ch- all the children on this playground that they've gone to are like the same child. It's a great image. It's another really good, like, you know, Moffat's very good at this, but it's another great Moffat thing. Um, but then it's followed up with something I just, oh, it makes me cry every single time because Donna's putting her kids to bed and, and she does this thing where in between, like, so the conceit of the digital world is that, like, when it cuts to another scene, that's all in real time. So, like, they've gone from one scene to another and uh, I can't explain it any more than that, really. Um, <laughs> it's it's dream logic. Like, things yeah. just jump ahead based on the the thought of the time. That's right. That's right. And so Donna's putting her kids to bed and the kids are like, you know, uh, is everything okay? And she's like, you know, mommy's going to be with you always. And the kids are like, well, you know, when you close your eyes, it's something like when you, when you close your eyes, we just stop. Oh yeah. It's like when you close your eyes, it's like, we're not here. Um, and Donna gets that incredible line in return. Oh, she says, you know, 
well, Mummy's just never going to close her eyes again, is she? Uh, It's horrific. (laughs) It kills me. And then it's followed up with, like, the kids disappearing because the, the reality is disintegrating. And, like... The way that she cries and and clutches and she's screaming and she's so, and the music, the like the apocalyptic music behind it, made me feel as a as a young kid like completely bereft and just feeling for this forty year old temp from Chiswick. Like, <laughs> I I can't <laughs> emphasize enough just how much I love this season for really humanizing Donna. It it yes yeah, it's she gets the most fully realized. Um, uh, interiority of, of the RTD companions mm. for sure. Um, she is such a, a completely formed human being. Um, you know, I think that there's something interesting about, you know, does she get thrown into this, uh, you know, husband, two kids, white picket fence sort of idealized life because it's based on the mind of a little girl and all she can sort of uh, imagine as a good world is a very traditional structure like that? Or does it pull from the people that it uploads? And so is this what we're seeing? Just Donna's genuine all she wants, like this is her idea mm. of heaven is just a family, a humble home and a man that loves her. Um I think the implication is it is, it is it is Cal's reality, but I like what mm. you're saying, and I think it would be better if it was that it created the sort of scenario, that, the one scenario that each person couldn't walk away from to keep them in there. And for, if it for yes. Donna, it's, you know, like she says at the end, like a man who's speechless adores me and doesn't say a word. Um, yeah. Like, what does that say about her? Um Mm. And it's quite on the nose then, when the, she says that and then the doctor says everything. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but it's a great bit of, it's a great bit of commentary. And it also leads to another one of my favourite moments, which is like, because Don has been through a lot, the doctor's been through a lot, and they meet up at the end and, he's, and she says, you know, it's time, is all right, because he's like, I'm all right. And she says, is all right, special time Lord Code for really not all right at all. And he says, why? And she goes, because I'm all right too. And the way that they look at each other and like the mutual suffering, it, it's so palpable, the relationship that they have and makes me wish that we'd seen yeah. more of them. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. They are, they're such a fantastic pairing together. Um, and especially that, you know, Donna's been through so much by this point as a character that she is becoming a... What's the, what's the right term for it? Like she she is she has become the perfect kind of uh, foil or mm. the yin to his yang, if, if you will. Um, you know, oh, she's, she is she's the best tenant companion by far. They by they far. speak to yeah, each other so it, intrinsically. Yes, absolutely right. And then, uh, mm, hmm. so yes, what do you want to say? I have a theory. Well, no, I, I have I have a um, unintentional subtext theory read about about this two parter and and what it says about how the Doctor leaves these people. Um, it does directly tie into what happens with Donna at the end of this season, where um, you know we're obviously going to get to it. And if you're listening to the show, you've already you've you've seen this series. Um, but let's just say that all of this development and all of this growth is completely undone. Um, And it's done so... uh, It's presented to the audience as for her own good, that she goes back to being 
just what she was before the Doctor. Um, and there's a lot to unpack when we get to that point. But this episode, in this two-parter in particular, also ends with the Doctor ignoring the pleas of somebody who loves him and who he loves in return. Um, so, you know, River gets herself into that situation where she's going to die and then he's like, hey, I, I, I can literally rewrite time. I can prevent this from happening. She's like, no, 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 no. My experiences are mine alone and you cannot take those from me. Mm. And so that's all good. I really like that. It's, it's a dark ending, yes, but it is still an ending. Like it, it's the ending that she chose for herself and she gets to sort of be fully realized in that moment. And then we find out that... The sonic screwdriver that River also has, because she has one as well. We we learn that the Doctor put one of those digital echo consciousness devices inside River's sonic screwdriver, knowing that this is where she would eventually end up with it. And because of that, he's like, oh, I'm so very clever. Now I can upload her consciousness into a fake reality and keep her there forever. And it's presented as River goes to heaven and gets the reality that she's always wanted. Now she's got three kids. I don't know if she ever really wanted kids. That's a whole other thing. Um, but it is, to me, uh, a very direct commentary on the fact that this Doctor, like with the godlike complex that's been developing, um, also just really has a problem accepting um, these women's choices. Well, it's... it's mm. You've you've definitely taken that interpretation, and I don't think it's not supported by the text. Um, the way that Moffat will revisit this in his era of the show is that the Doctor doesn't like endings. He doesn't like it when people die. He doesn't like it when people leave him. He just wants to continue living in a fantasy or an ongoing thing. And so when he takes agency mm. away from... It has always been women, because he has women companions, Um but I don't think there's any doubt in my mind he would do it the same with anyone else um, in the same position. Um, what am I just trying to say here? Um, it's it's less about, like, it's not a misogynistic act as it is a childish and ill-thought one. Um, um, I personally find it is still a, misogynistic from a creative perspective and from the voice well, behind the character exactly right like the, these characters aren't real do you know what I mean like the, yeah. these are writing choices that are being made for them um and I, I think specifically with Donna's ending um I I do find that does smack of misogyny in 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 some ways um I, I don't think the river one does as much um, but that's only because I know where Moffat eventually goes on with this kind of writing choice. And what he does with Clara is like the, the polar opposite of misogyny. Um, and so I give him the benefit of the doubt in that regard. And I also view this text as... Um, preemptively critical of what happens with Donna because there's also a lot of other moments throughout it where, um, you know, River, River, when she first figures out that it's Donna standing next to her, she gives her this horrified look. She's like, oh, you're Donna. And so, like, in my mind, I'm like, okay, yeah, like, because you know what happens to Donna, you know how fucked up it is. Like, there's, a, there's an appropriate reaction there. Whereas I feel like I never really get that appropriate reaction from the Doctor in this story. Not this story, well, but like in the, in the overarching series. Yeah, well, he doesn't know what he's going to do yet. <laughs> so he wouldn't. No, but when, but when he does go on to do it, it's just kind of like, well, that was a shame. And well, I think we'll touch on this more in the actual episode, but there is that um, 
that curious little parallel there with like, he knows what he's about to do with Donna. He knows uh, pretty much from the moment she comes out of the TARDIS in that finale and has changed that he's going to do something awful to her. And it kind of refigures how you see all that, the very, like the joyous mm-hmm. moments of that ending. And there's a similar thing here because River, he's, he has been carrying this sonic screwdriver that he's gifted her for, I don't know how long. Um, and then at the end, you realize that her dying self is contained in the screwdriver. And it's like, so the doctor made her carry around her dead self for years so that he could then save her against her will. Very interesting. Yeah, that, that's it. That's why I said, like, you know, they very specifically use the line where he's talking to himself about it. And he's like, oh, I'm a genius. You don't get the impression that, like, this is something he's discussed with River. There's no wink and a nudge that lets you know that River was always in on this plan as well. And that's yeah. why she was so willing to sacrifice herself. So, no, no, she was at the end of her lifeline. She made her choice and she was ha- content with it, right? And, and so, yeah, the idea that she was just the entire time carrying this shackle around is... um. It's just, yeah, it's it's very, very interesting subtext. You made the point when we were talking about it before about the line that she has when she wakes up inside the library AI is, you know, um, he just can't let go. Or what does she, she says something before that, doesn't she? Yeah. Because she, she wakes up in there and she's literally in like this like sparkly white dress. It's very I've gone to heaven kind of imagery, right? Mm. And then as she sort of realizes what's going on, there's a brief moment before she gives over into the whole like, oh, wow, I've been saved. Where she's like, that man just cannot let it go or, or something like that. And, and it is not a, it's not relief. It's not content. It is a... God damn it. Yeah. Um, kind of moment. And I, and I fully understand why you can't sit with that moment as the residing final thought, because it's way too dark for a general audience. Um, but I do think that it is in Moffat's brain somewhere, even if it hasn't fully come to fruition yet until with Clara, that the way doc, the doctor treats life and death and the choices made by the people around him is supremely fucked up. Mm. Mm. Just considering his work as well, um, it also, for me, is, or maybe for you too, it, it's a really weaker version of the the same sort of thing he did in the, the Empty Child two-parter, which was the Doctor, you know, has been surrounded, he's in a war, he's surrounded by death, and yet at the very end of that story, he gets to bring all the people in, affected by the menace of that episode back to the pre- previous cells. Like he says, everybody mm-hmm. lives. It's a great moment. And there's a similar line here where River's doing narration and she says, everybody knows that everybody dies, but not every day, not today. And it's the same concept, but it's warped because River has yeah, it's died. Yeah, like a grim, dark version of it. Yeah. And they've all died. They've all yeah. died. And they've gone on to a half-life and it's presented as as just as good as the real thing, but it's not. And it opens up, it opens up a, a very curious trend of Moffat stories of having his cake and eating it too, where he can kill characters and still have them live beyond death. And if it's something he's genuinely interested, it keeps coming back in his work, comes back in death in Mm -hmm. heaven, comes back in his treatment of the Cybermen. It's, it's something he's very, uh, focused on it's in sherlock it's in yeah. dracula the two the three-parter dracula adaptation he did that's spoilers for you because i know mm. you haven't finished it yet um <laughs> uh and I, you know i think it's fascinating to see these themes recur in his work and to know that it's something that he dabbles in and 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 examines 
which is death. Mm. Um, yeah, but and specifically the the perversion of death in a, like in a good way. I would say, the, like, I think it's fascinating the way he plays with immortality. The perversion of death and and the you know the role of technology in in preserving mm-hmm. life as well. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's just these early days. Um, because he's also writing the doctor as a god, essentially, who doesn't realize his power. <laughs> yeah. it, the two things are kind of meshing in a bad way. The other example of this, it's not on this topic in particular, but of the doctor, is the the the, the way the doctor essentially gets rid of the menace of this episode, which is the Vashtanarada, is he says, you're in the biggest library in the universe, look me up. He uses his reputation to scare them away. And it, oh, it just drives me insane. It's not satisfying at all. It's so cheap and uh like it's bravado without any kind of merit to it yeah agreed it makes me think of the uh the demons run stuff where you know everyone kind of in the room realizes that the word doctor doesn't mean doctor anymore because of him um i think that's really fucking cool Mm. um Mm -hmm. but you just don't have enough time to explore that here um so yeah yeah i i agree it's and that's that's the thing about this two-parter is that like it is it's it's a little bit messy for me not in a way that it derails any of it i still have a very good time watching it but like these these thoughts can occur when you allow yourself to think about it it's a it this yeah this is sort of the first moffat two-parter since the series one uh so he gets a lot more room to sort of establish a world and i think the library is a really great concept um of this planet-sized library, even if it does frustrate me that there are like books just out in the in the elements that could get rained on or get sun damaged, or it just it drives me up the wall that there are bookshelves out in the open. Whatever. Um, I like the library. I like the cow stuff. Um, I think that for me, the first episode is real clunky. Um, it feels like there's a lot of elements just being slammed in there. There's a lot of exposition that isn't delivered particularly well. Um, but they're all good concepts. And like I said before about the data ghost scene, I love that scene, but it just comes at a point where you've already learned so much stuff that you're like, why am I learning about this now? And then after that, they immediately go back into a river. How do you know me scene? And it just, it's like clunk, 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 clunk all the way. Um, but then there's also good stuff like the nodes, which come back at the finale mm-hmm. in the, um, sorry, in the cliffhanger to the first episode, there's the river stuff, there's the library. It's just, there's just so much detail and it's frustrating because it's like, I think quite inelegantly done. Um, and it should be like sort of otherworldly, but it just comes across as a bit mundane in the way that they depict all these things. Um, yeah, And I guess that for me comes down to the direction of this episode, which is maybe more in the first episode than the second, just a bit kind of clunky again. Um, there's a, yeah, he really likes his, like, uh, what's the, what's that, uh, film technical term? The, um, something tilt or like lean, um, you know what I'm talking about, right? I have no idea. Sorry. <laughs> like, like, you know, when like you film something on a certain angle, like a Dutch angle, Dutch. Like a Dutch angle. There it is. We got there, folks. Um, yeah, he, he certainly likes those. There's some times where I think this episode, these episodes look just like very generic. 
oh, I've got to run up and down a corridor mm. this time. It's inside a library mm. kind of stuff. But then there's other moments where, you know, the the when Miss Evangelista gets pulled off into that other room on her own and you get these stunning wide shots of like these clearly like quite impressive um, combination of set and CGI things that they've built here um, where like it can look really spooky and inviting and, and very textured. Um, it's just, yeah, like it does meet somewhere in the middle stylistically. Yeah, it's sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. My example uh, that I took down in my notes was there's a, a moment towards the end of the first episode where they escape from the the Vashtanarada who's taken over, I think it's Other Dave's suit or Proper Dave. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which of the... I think it's Proper Dave, sorry. Proper Dave's suit. Um, and they're running down a corridor. And, the, and River, I mean, like, it's so... At this point in time, it's so ingrained in the Doctor's character that he will grab a companion's hand and and they run up corridors. That was, like, mentioned so many times in the Doctor's (laughs) daughter. We know that's what he does. And obviously, in this episode, they get River to do it. But the camera's not focusing on their hands or on them. They're in the corner of the frame. And it's kind of like in a big group shot where this moment happens and it cuts away to something else. And you're like, that was significant. Why? You should be focusing on that, Euros. I don't... It frustrates me. Yeah. Uh, like stupid little mistakes like that is uh, all mm-hmm. over this episode. Um, the Vashtanarada? Ah, uh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Well, that's the thing. Like, they're not really the focus yes. of the story in that sense. Like, I, I think that, you know, the whole, you know, throwing a chick, a bit of chicken into the shadows and then having it just roll away as a, as a dusty bone is really fucking cool. And I'm glad that we get those moments where it's like, Hey, who turned up the lights? Oh, and then, you yeah. know, they, they show the face and it's like a skull inside of a suit. Like all of that is very, you know, we we're talking before about weeping angels. Like Moffat has a, a knack for introducing iconic uh, visuals in, in his stories, right? Mm. Um, so I, I definitely get on board with all of that. I, I just think that the the whole this is our planet, you know, uh, it's just it's so sub 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 subtext at this point that there's anything going on there with like colonialism or, or whatever it could possibly be trying to riff on um, that the episode doesn't give a shit about it, so I don't give a shit about it. It's a bit like that, isn't it? And I don't think there's any commentary to be made with the Vashta Narada. It's just a twist. How did the, how did the shadows get here? They came in the books. Done. It's not, there's nothing to it really. Yeah. And I think it, yeah. Like it, when you say that about them not being the, the sole focus of the episode, it does redeem them slightly in my head. Um, mm-hmm. But as a menace, I just find them pretty goofy, uh, especially all the times when they keep saying, you know, don't stand in the shadows, don't stand in the shadows. <laughs> and they're constantly standing in shadows. And I'm just like, Make it make sense, girl. <laughs> yeah, no, truly, truly. Um, I think the closest it gets to any sort of depth with the Vashon Narada, and I think the episode as a whole, um, I said this to you, I don't know, last week when we first watched this, but like, I did like that by the end of the story, there's no quote unquote bad guy. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? Like every, everybody involved is just a vaguely hurt party in some way. And then the reactions that they are having to that hurt. So, you know, the Vashonarada feel as if they are being invaded. Um, the AI is revealed to just be the, I guess like the uploaded consciousness of the CEO's granddaughter or, or I think it's ne- like niece it's his grandmother. or something like that. 
but because it's been a hundred years, she's still a child. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could fuck with that. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. Instead of having just a traditional evil computer, you've actually just got a little girl who wants, like, uh, a family and to keep everybody safe. Um, you know, so I, I do like that the two kind of quote-unquote threats are just then revealed to not be threats. I think that's a very Moffat-esque kind of subversion. But mm. because this episode is so unfocused, you don't actually fully understand that in the moment because it's so busy dealing with River yeah. and with Donna. Like, there's so much else going on that even the cool parts are just made too small to be cool anymore. I think that's, yeah, that's very fair. And it's, it's frustrating because like, this is still Doctor Who. And so they need to have a monster, but you don't, we as viewers don't want to kind of don't want to focus on that. We want to hear, we want to see more of the river stuff. We want to see more of of the, of the Donna stuff. Um, Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people don't want that, but I want it. Um, (laughs) uh, Um, People will want what I tell them to want. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, the the little girl stuff uh, is pretty is signposted pretty early on, so I didn't feel like that was much of a like a reveal. And it's the same with Donna being in the in the library's AI. Like that feels pretty obvious from the get go. And so once I was like, mm. oh, this is definitely not about the twists anymore. It's about the reality of experiencing what it would be like to be in that world, or what it would be like to encounter somebody who you know you who knows you in the future it, it's it's and you know you said that you preferred the second episode and i'm starting to see your point because it does slow down a lot more in that second episode and really think more about what's happening um yeah that's a really dumb way of putting it but <laughs> that's the only no, way no no i i agree though i, I think it's i think it's a, a generally good thing to to land on with that um the the click the click you know the click of the (sighs) fingers Mm. good moment i feel like yeah i kind of wanted to wrap up our conversation on like what i think we both agree is just like a really fantastic moment for doctor who there are a few in that final run but definitely that that moment is uh like a it's almost like a, the Doctor has arrived moment, which is so odd considering this is Dave Tennant's <laughs> third series. Um, but it's a it's a great moment for him to just to get a a moment of majesty, you know, of such. Uh, agreed. Mm. Especially as a contrast to the fact that RTD's vision of Doctor Who Majesty is a big speech and Moffat's in this moment is a simple click of the fingers. Mm. Um, It's such a fun contrast. I think that especially because the way that River talks about him being like, oh, you know, my Doctor would set the stars on fire or, you know, the Mm. fucking Doctor Who stuff. It is what it is. Um, But the the image and the confidence that she has in her version of that, of the Doctor, of this man that we're, we're still getting to know. And then so to end this episode with a definitive statement of him being like, I am becoming that man is it just, it feels good. It's, it's a really good mm. moment. It, it's got so much catharsis to it. It, it, that's so true. And mate, I don't know if the show realizes just how much river song comes to influence where he goes in the future. I mean, obviously does because like Moffat then takes over the reins, but um, like, that's <laughs> such an interesting point that like he would never become who he was if he hadn't met her now to have her tell him mm. this is who you're going to be in the future. Very interesting. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, any final thoughts on the, the, the library two-parter? Just some moments that I wanted to, to sort of touch on briefly. Um, the bit where the doctor teleports Donna 
to the TARDIS and then it gets intercepted and she kind of glitches out and screams. Yes. Horror. Horror. It's oh, so yes. good. Horrific. Especially because it's another moment where she does not want to go and he's making that choice for her. Um, really interesting commentary on what happens when you take away Donna's authority. Okay. All right. But you know I'm right. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, the cliffhanger to episode eight is great. The Donna reveal is like, again, it's horrific. Um, there was another moment that I really was like, oh, okay. it isn't a good moment, but it just makes me laugh a little bit. The And it's also kind of cringy. The actor they get to play the the millionaire guy, he has this line where they're talking about they're in the bot they're in the core of the planet, the library planet, and uh, they've real they like they I think they realized oh no they they realized the computer is dreaming like dreaming of the reality that Don is trapped in, and they're like how can a computer dream or like computers don't dream and then the, the millionaire guy's like no but little girls do and. <laughs> <laughs> makes me vomit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's just cringe. It's cringe. It's real cringe. Um, yeah. I can't get over that ending. Like river is trapped forever. I know that's not her final end, but still. Wow. Um, that's, that's this episode. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. Silence in the library is going to get a, uh, like a B plus from me mm-hmm. and Forest of the Dead and A minus. Cool. I think for me, it's a C plus for the first and a B plus for the second. Oh, how cruel and unusual of you. As always, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think we both can acknowledge this week has been a little bit more loosey-goosey. We're both very tired. It's it's Sunday afternoon. We're a bit too relaxed for this. But, you know, there's a lot of... Hu- 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 <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <clears throat> There was a lot of who news to talk about, and mm. you know this is this is a two parter that you and I are both pretty pretty you know interested in. Moffat is is always a good time for us to talk about on the show, so uh, we appreciate that you folks um, came along to listen. As always, you can uh, reach out and have your thoughts and feelings read on the show by emailing us at Two Hearts Podcast, and that's to the word two. Or if you'd rather, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Two Hearts Pod, the number two. Excuse me. And I've been Callum and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Theatricallum. And I have been James. You can find me on Twitter at OMG More James. We will see you folks in two weeks time. Oh, baby, we're talking about midnight next. You're excited. I'm excited. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, Till then, stay safe, be kind to each other. And yeah, bye. Bye.